Now, as we uh, begin in verse 21 this morning, uh, just want to kind of set this up. They are still in the upper room. Jesus has has just completed uh, the Lord's Supper. And uh, this was a supper that he had longed to share with his disciples uh, his entire ministry. But I, he had to have been thinking about this Passover supper most of his life when it came to his relation, to, to him realizing that he was going to be the Passover lamb. And uh, just think about that. Put yourself in Jesus' shoes as, as a boy growing up and understanding that as he's watching that Passover lamb being slaughtered uh, for his family, that one day that was going to be him. And that as they participated in the bread of affliction, as they drank from the, the, the cup of wine, uh, this was Jesus, this was going to be his body. This was going to be his blood that was going to be given for not only his disciples, but for all of us, all of mankind. And so it's a very um, sacred, uh, sobering, and heavy moment in verse 20. But then as we begin to read verse 21, it's as if the wheels start to come off the bus. Okay, it's going from such a powerful moment to uh, what in the world's happening here. And so if you have our Bibles, let's begin with verse 21. Jesus says, but behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another which of them it could be who was going to do this. And we looked at that a couple weeks ago. It was Judas. And uh, Judas was the mole in the crowd and, and, and among the twelve. And uh, Judas betrayed uh, Jesus and turn Jesus in to the authorities. So Judas gets up from that table. Jesus tells Judas what you are about to do. Jesus says, go do quickly. We learn of this in, in the book of John. But then following uh, Judas's exodus and their questioning, you know, who could this be that would betray the son of man? Um, it goes from that conversation Immediately to this conversation in verse 24. Then a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom 
that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So here we go from the Passover supper to Judas leaving to betray Jesus. And then the disciples are asking, who could it be? Is it I? And then in verse 24, they go from that conversation to arguing, well, who's going to be greatest in the kingdom? I mean, really? Really? I mean, here's Jesus pouring out his life, explaining to them that he is the Passover lamb. He, his body is the bread of affliction. The blood that's going to be poured out is going to be his blood. And that's gone right over their heads. And they're debating who is going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What dunderthals. They don't get it. They obviously didn't get it right here, right now, in this upper room. And so, through the rest of this text, Jesus is going to explain what true greatness really is. Uh, He's not going to... um, berate them over the fact that they're talking about greatness because greatness isn't something bad to aspire to. In fact, Jesus wants all of us to be great in God's kingdom. But greatness in God's kingdom looks a whole lot different than greatness in the world's eyes. And Jesus is going to take this conversation and he's going to redeem this conversation. He's going to, he's going to um, guide the conversation and help, help them see what greatness truly is like. And Jesus's message to them and Jesus's message to us, church, is as Christians, as followers of Christ, we need to seek godly greatness. Now, godly great in seeking godly greatness, we must reject the worldly view. Okay? And in the worldly view of greatness, it's all about the leader. You know, it's, it's uh, counting the number of people who serve the leader. Uh, counting the number of people that the leader is able to give orders to. That's, that's the world's definition of, of greatness. But it's not God's definition. It's not who worships you. It's not about you. It's about serving others. And so as we look at this idea of greatness, greatness, God's definition, is simply serving others. And so I want us to go through this text this morning. I want to do it a little differently. I want to just ask us some questions, ask you some questions when it comes to 
to greatness. And what is God doing or what are you allowing God to do in your life as we look at this passage of Scripture? The first question is this. Do you welcome Jesus to serve you? You know, when it comes to serving others, We're not going to be effective servants unless we allow Jesus the opportunity to serve us. Jesus is still in the serving business. Jesus hasn't changed. And Jesus loves to serve. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20 and Mark chapter 10, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And just because Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected and is at the right hand of the Father today, that doesn't mean he hasn't stopped serving. And he wants to serve you. But oftentimes, our pride gets in the way and we don't allow him to serve us. Jesus says in the, in the Gospels, are you weary? Are you heavy laden? Are you tired? Do you need rest? Jesus says, come to me. I will give you rest. Do you need wisdom? Are you contemplating your future and, and, uh, and decisions that you have to, ma- have to make? Jesus wants to give you wisdom. And he should be the first person we go to rather than the last, the person of last resort. Jesus is still in the serving business. And he wants to be that comforter. He wants to be that person that gives you strength or peace or provision. Jesus loves you. And he wants to serve you. And the more we understand that and more we take the time to fill ourselves up with Jesus in that quiet time, in that alone time, we'll have the mind of Christ. We'll realize that it's not about me, it's not about you, but it's about other people. And we'll want to make ourselves available to others. So the first question is, do you welcome Jesus to serve you? The second thing, question I wanted to ask ourselves this morning is, do you humbly allow others to serve you? Do you humbly allow others to serve you? Jesus humbly allowed others to serve him. I think of the woman in Luke chapter 7 who was overwhelmed by the grace of God and the love and the forgiveness that she had experienced in the person of Jesus. The Bible says that she took a, a flask, a very expensive perfume, and broke it and poured it out over the feet of Jesus. 
and with her tears and with her hair, she, she worshiped at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus allowed her to do this. You know, the other disciples, they were standing off and they were thinking, what a waste. They should have sold that, that, that perfume and given it to the poor. Jesus said, no, let her be. And he received this act of service, this act of worship. Do you let others serve you? Now, I'm not talking about at the house, okay, at home. You know, I'm pretty good at allowing people to serve me at home. I'm pretty good at barking orders, you know, with my kids or, yes, with Susan occasionally. <laughs> and uh, and allow other people to serve me. That And, and that's not right. You know, this should be a, a give and take relationship. It should. It's not to be all about one one person, but but when it comes to people serving me at home in my flesh, that comes pretty naturally. But it's another thing when I allow people on the outside to try to serve me. Oh no, I don't need your help. I can do this. I've got this, and you know my pride wells up. And I don't allow people to help me. And what hypocrisy. You know, it's easy for me to bark orders at the house. But no, I can do it when I'm on the outside. When we say no, when there's a need in our life, and we don't allow uh, others to be a blessing uh, to us, we rob them of the blessing that they want to experience in in helping. I remember uh, Garen uh, several years ago when I was having serious back issues, and uh, there wasn't a whole lot I could do on the outside. And um, before my surgery, uh, Garen Harris came to my house, and or maybe he talked to Susan. I, I don't remember, but to ask if uh, there's something that he could do, and I said no. I've got it under control. It's it's okay. And so I robbed him of the opportunity of being a blessing. Well, after surgery, having to have had back surgery and being laid up, Garen didn't ask for permission. Garen just came over to this house and asked, asked Susan, what can I do? She comes to me and I said, well... There is a PVC pipe that's broken and the trees aren't getting watered on the, uh, on the west side of the house. And if he could fix that PVC pipe, that would be a blessing. You know what? It was a blessing. But I had to swallow my pride and allow somebody else to come alongside me and help. And I received a blessing And Garen received a blessing. My friends, there's sometimes, I mean, we love to serve. You know, it's easy to help others. But there's going to be periods in our lives where we can't. And we need to let others. And Jesus 
the Son of God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, humbled himself to the point where he allowed a sinful woman to anoint him, anoint his feet and worship him. If Jesus can do that, my friends, we need to be willing to do that. So, do you let Jesus serve you? Do you um, allow others to humbly serve you? The third question this morning is, do you serve others with selfless motives? Do you serve others with selfless motives? Maybe you're a person who likes to serve, but in your service, you like to be recognized. And after a while in doing that service, you feel as if uh, you're being taken for granted or you're not appreciated and uh, you begin to get a bitter spirit. Well, I want to ask you, why are you serving in the first place? Are you serving to be recognized? Or are you serving out of a selfless heart? Because you just want to give back. I want you to think about Jesus for a moment. Here Jesus is with his disciples in the Passover. He's explained the new Passover of the New Testament. And he knows Judas is going to betray him. The disciples are arguing over who's going to be the greatest. Jesus knows that uh, uh, when uh, he's taken away by the Roman soldiers, all of his disciples are going to forsake him. But Jesus continues to serve. He doesn't give up. He keeps going. What is your motives in serving others? Some people have a hard time serving because they're not remunerated. They're they're not paid back uh, for their service. I mean, and they're thinking to themselves, if there's nothing in it for me, well, I'm not going to do that. You know what? That's not Jesus' heart. And when it comes to greatness in God's kingdom, we shouldn't be in it for the money. We should just be in it because we love Jesus. You know, if it wasn't for servants in the church, there wouldn't be church. You know, this church is run on volunteers. It's not on run on the paid leadership. It's run on volunteers. And if we don't have volunteers in this church, we don't have church. Think about this for a second. If we don't have volunteers who aren't in it for the money, we don't have worship. 
We don't have childcare and nursery going on while this service is happening right now. We don't have small groups and homes uh, throughout the week. We don't have age-graded Bible study. We don't have the neighborhood suppers, which, by the way, is going really well. Last Monday night, we served 40 people. The people who are coming really appreciate this and really need it. And if you want to volunteer, please see Karen following this service. But this is such a blessing, and it's going to grow. But if we don't have volunteers, we don't have neighborhood suppers. We don't have... um, Funeral receptions. We don't have the Lord's suppers. We don't have sound operators. I would have to be speaking without a microphone right now. We wouldn't have PowerPoint. You would be lost in this presentation. (laughs) We wouldn't have ushers, greeters, Chauffeurs to uh, take people to doctor's appointments or hospitals. Oh no, we wouldn't have coffee or donuts on Sunday morning. (laughs) We wouldn't have a a, a functional building. Our Romeo guys are such a blessing. I mean, we take it for granted that a door opens easily. But we had a lot of sagging doors throughout this 60,000 square foot building. And it required our volunteers to take the frame down, to rebuild the frame so that doors could easily be open. And that's just one thing our, our Romeos do. We wouldn't have a women's ministry. We wouldn't have mops. We would be sitting in a stuffy, warm room right now. We wouldn't have maintained property. It takes servants who are willing to be in it just to be in it, not for the money. What's your motivation in serving? And I would say that we're all without excuse around here. There's something that we can do. I want to just highlight Paul Henderson for a moment. (laughs) Paul is um, finished one round of chemotherapy. He's going for his next round uh, starts tomorrow. Guess who was out on work day on Friday? Paul Henderson. Now, I don't know if his dad highly encouraged him to come down here, but the fact that he was here spoke volumes to me. I think about my son, Trevor. You know, there's been several occasions where I've hinted to Trevor throughout the week, you know, there's a work day coming up. Uh, can can you go with me um, this weekend? And he always has said, yes, Dad, I can. But there came a day this last summer where I didn't make any hints. 
He got up one Saturday morning and he said, I asked him, where, where are you going? He said, well, I haven't been to a work day for a while and I thought I'd go today. You know what? He got it. And he has a heart to serve. I, I think of, I think of Jonathan Coima, who in high school spent countless hours on Graff Street, uh, helping John Gilliland in particular. Um, a young man who loved to serve. Marcus Page was another uh, young man who loved to volunteer time. Folks, we all need to get this. The church is built on servants. And if you want to be great in God's kingdom, I'm not saying that you've got to be down here every work weekend and burn yourself out, but occasionally be available to be a blessing to somebody else. So the question, do you serve others with selfless motives? How do you know if you have selfless motives? A businessman asked that question one time. How can you tell if you have a servant attitude? And the person said this, by the way you react when you are treated like one. That's a good test. If you're offended by being treated as a servant, then probably you don't have a servant's heart. But that's where Jesus wants all of us to be. You want to be great in my kingdom, Jesus says? Be willing to serve. Number four. Are you willing to do menial menial tasks? Jesus asked the question in verse 27. Who's the greater? The one that reclines at the table or the one that serves? And in the world's eyes, the answer is obvious. The one that reclines at the table. But Jesus says, in my kingdom, it's the one who serves. And Jesus was... Our greatest example. He served his disciples. In John chapter 13, just prior to the the Passover supper, the Bible says he washed his disciples' feet. Are you willing to do menial tasks? No job, no job should be beneath you. We ought to be willing to do anything. Now, I understand strengths and weaknesses, what we're passionate about and what we aren't. And so if you come to us and you want to volunteer and you have a hard time tolerating preschoolers, it's most likely we're not going to assign you with preschoolers, okay? We're going to ask you, what, what are you passionate about? What are you good at? What would you like to do? And most likely put you in an area where, you stre- where your strengths are. But when it comes to serving, serving, nothing should be beneath us. We ought to be willing to do anything. Jesus washed the disciples' feet.
So, let Jesus serve you. Let others serve you. Be humble about that. Be willing to serve selflessly. Do the menial tasks. And number five, the question is, is your life marked more by giving or getting? For some people, it's all about getting. I mean, they're in it for the praise. They're in it for the money. They're in it through it for the power, the influence, the possessions. Um, and if those things don't happen in their life, I mean, there's devastation. What motivates you when it comes to giving? It shouldn't be about getting. When it comes to greatness, if you want to be great, our lives need to be found in the category of giving. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Mom and dad, think about Christmas. What gets you excited? Is it getting gifts, opening the gifts that you received? Or is it watching others open gifts that you've given to them? Watching our kids or our grandchildren. That's where the joy comes. The joy comes in giving. And if you want to be great in God's kingdom... Jesus says you have to be willing to serve. It's not about you. It's about others. And in verses 28 through 30, as believers, as followers, we need to seek eternal greatness. We need to have the long view in mind. Because as we serve, as we continue to live a humble life, pursue humility by the grace of God, take on the attitude of a servant, your life is going to be great. Your life is going to make a difference. And you are going to be seated at the king's table in the wedding feast of the Lamb. Revelation chapter 19. Let's live a life, church, that wants to hear when it's all said and done from our Lord and Savior. Well done. Good and faithful servant. May that be our heart's desire. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for the the example that you were to each of us. Pursuing greatness is not bad. You want our lives to make a difference. Father, help that difference to be a godly difference. 
Father, it begins by allowing you to serve us. May we come to you humbly, needy, bankrupt, asking God that you would encourage our spirits, our souls as we spend time with you. Help us, Jesus, to take on your characteristics so that we truly can be servants. Father, help our pride to get out of the way. Help us, Lord, to look beyond our own needs and our own wants. And to see others and how we can serve others. And God, be that blessing. And God, you use us. And your Holy Spirit will just affirm in our hearts those acts of righteousness. God, you haven't given us the Holy Spirit just to convict us of sin, but to affirm the acts of righteousness. Jesus, help us to do whatever. For your glory, for your good, for your church, for your people. We love you, Father. Thank you for this time of worship. Be glorified in it. In Christ's name we pray. Would you stand with me, please?